Happy Wednesday. It's Julie and Megan, and we are the VBAC Link Podcast, and this is episode number 127, 127, and we have a special guest. Honestly, you're all special guests, but this is an extra special guest because it's a client of Julie's. Her name is Shiloh, and we can't wait to hear her story something a little bit about her. She um, had an early miscarriage and then actually couldn't get pregnant for two years, which for anyone who out there who has miscarried, sometimes people tell people like, oh, you're super fertile after. So two years is quite a wait. And she said that they decided to see a fertility doctor and they were told about one that could do like Skype visits. So right now, while we're recording this, this is during COVID-19 And so that's like really, really popular. But back then it really wasn't super popular to do Skype with a provider. Back in the Um, olden days. Back in the olden days. (laughs) When life was good. (laughs) Um, They actually quickly got pregnant um, and had an uncomplicated pregnancy, which is amazing. But then she had a C-section after pushing for like two and a half hours and a unsuccessful vacuum assist. That was, that was hard. And they moved and they hired a doula and they had some prenatal visits online again, but she lived two and a half hours away from where she was going to birth, which is quite a while away. So pretty awesome and unique. And then she, um, of course, is going to share her story today. And like I said, she had Julie as her doula. So, so, so excited to hear your story, Shiloh, today. But before we do, Julie has our awesome review of the week. Yes, I do. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> um, listen, I'm so excited to hear Shiloh's story from her perspective. It's really funny because um, she lives about two hours south of me and two and a half hours south from where she birthed, but it's like my hometown. And so it's really fun when I have clients that live in that area come up here for their birth because it's like they live in my hometown, but they're coming up here because they don't. They live in a rural area where there's VBAC bands. None of the hospitals around um, will support VBAC. It's pretty typical, I guess, with um, small hospitals. So here's a review of the week. I love this one. Okay, so this is from Spring R on Apple Podcasts. She says, I'm what I like to consider a still pretty new mama, but I'm also a C-section mom. For a while, I really thought that's what I would always be. I hit some pretty dark places, but this podcast has given me light. I listen to multiple episodes a day and have a long stream of notes on my phone. Let me add, I'm not pregnant again, but that's how prepared I want it to be when we do get there for our next baby. This podcast has given me the first tool to get there. Recently, as quarantine life has become the new normal, I am almost always got an episode buzzing in my ear. My husband said I've got a bit of an addiction. (laughs) I snapped back really quick and said, I've got hope. It helps me believe in myself. And he quickly got quiet. These ladies answer personal messages asking for help. I just can't say enough good things. They are just that good. This podcast is just that good. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, it makes me so happy. Like, I don't know. Good. A good review just always puts a smile on my face. Like when I get, we get them in, I have like a weekly roundup. We get in our email box of um, how our podcast is performing and any reviews that come in. And every time I see these glowing reviews, I, I like smile so big. It just makes, it makes my heart happy. And I know it makes Megan's heart happy as well. It sure does. 
You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the vbacklink.com. See you there. Well, let's see. Let's get into your story, Shiloh. I also love to hear when we have our own clients share stories. We love to, I love to hear like the personal, like their side because like Julie, like, you know, like, and I share about stories. And so I love to hear the story from your point of view. So let's turn the time over to you. Okay, so we got married, and a couple years later, we started trying to have kids, but like you said, um, we got pregnant, but then we miscarried early on, kept trying, but then couldn't get pregnant for two years after that, and we were talking to some friends, and they told us about this fertility clinic in Utah that does Skype calls with patients, so they would do blood work and ultrasounds locally, and they would be sent down there for them to read, and at the time, we were living in small town Montana, and fertility doctors were at least two hours away from us, so it was a good option for us to try this. So we meet with the doctor via Skype, and we only did this twice, and we were able to figure out what was going on and did a few minor things to fix it, and then two months later, we got our positive pregnancy test, and we were thrilled. That is so cool. Like, that's really cool. It really that is. You can do that over Skype. And like not even have to see them and then they help you and you get pregnant. I just think that that just blows my mind. It's yeah, really well, we're, yeah. We're lucky that it was a quick, quick, easy fixes. <laughs> so the pregnancy itself was pretty straightforward. We went to an eight week dating ultrasound. We saw the baby and heard the heartbeat and it was such a relief after the miscarriage and two years of trying. I had the typical morning sickness and was tired the first trimester, but then started feeling a lot better the second trimester and then at our anatomy scan, we found out we were having a boy. And then third trimester, we took a six-week hospital birth class with the labor and delivery nurses. I was planning on going without pain meds, and a C-section was not on my radar. At 39 weeks, I was one centimeter dilated and decided to have my membrane stripped. And that night, I had some contractions and thought it might have been, been labor, but then I woke up the next day, and it was nothing. So that Saturday, my mom came to town, and she really wanted to see one of her grandkids be born, and we passed the time by going on a lot of walks and finishing up a few last-minute things before the baby came. By Wednesday, I was feeling pretty tired and done, and I had my 40-week appointment that afternoon. 
my husband picked me up and we went to the office. And when I got there, the nurse and doctor commented that they watched me walk in and noticed my belly had dropped. She asked me how I was doing and I started crying because I was so over the pregnancy. I Aww. just wanted to meet the baby. <laughs> she checked me and I was at four centimeters and we decided to try stripping my membranes again. She did a really good job and it hurt really bad. And then I pretty much begged for an induction because I just wanted to meet the baby and yeah, I was feeling done. Um, that was not part of my original plan because I wanted labor to start on its own, but I was so desperate, and so she scheduled one for Friday. So my dad had also come to town that night, and we had dinner, and we were hanging out, and I started to feel contractions around 9 p.m. I started timing them at 10, and they were about three minutes apart. I didn't go to bed until 11 o'clock, and then at 2 o'clock, I woke up, and they were more intense, and I couldn't sleep through them any longer. So I woke up my husband and told him what was going on. He gave me a blessing, and then I woke up my mom. I tried to eat, but I didn't have an appetite. So I called the hospital and told them we were coming in. We drove there, and my mom followed us. And on the way, had some more contractions that were getting hard to manage. When we got to the hospital, somebody was waiting at the ER entrance to take us up to labor and delivery. We got to the labor room at 3 in the morning, and I was 7 centimeters dilated, 100% effaced and baby at a negative three station. I decided to labor in the tub for a bit. And a little while later, our doctor came in and asked if I wanted my water broken and I declined. And I was having some really bad back labor that the tub was helping me with. But then I got out of the tub and tried the yoga ball and standing by the bed with Dustin and my mom helping with counter pressure. I ate some popsicles and drank lots of water and we decided to break my water at about 5.30 in the morning when I was at eight centimeters and the baby had dropped to zero station. When they broke my water, there was dark meconium in it and my back labor really intensified. About an hour later, I started to feel a lot of pressure and I kept laboring in different positions. And then around 8 a.m., I really felt like pushing. I was checked and I was totally complete. I tried pushing in lots of positions like kneeling over the head of the bed with the bed up, squatting with a squat bar, pulling on a sheet with a squat bar. And an hour later, I just got really tired, and so I started pushing on my back. I had a little bit of fentanyl to take the edge off, but it just made me feel more tired, and I started to doze off during each contraction. Eventually, his heart rate started dropping into the 80s during pushing and was slow to recover, so I had oxygen between pushes. The doctor tried to turn him with their hands because he was ROA. And at some point, they even did a catheter to empty my bladder. I'd been pushing about two hours when we decided to try a vacuum. They put it on his head, and his heart rate dropped between 40 and 60. The nurse quickly turned me to my side, and he recovered. But with the vacuum, he moved down a little bit. But as soon as it, the contraction was over, he moved back up. He just would not get past my pubic bone. They only tried the vacuum once, and the doctor said I could try pushing for another half hour, or we could just do a C-section. And I figured with all that that had happened, what would be the point of pushing for longer when we really hadn't made any progress in the last hour? So I had pushed for about two and a half hours before we decided that a C-section was what was best. So once that was decided, everything went really quick. I got a shot of something to stop my contractions. My dad even drove up to the hospital and gave me a quick hug and a kiss on the forehead, and my parents left. They got my husband's scrubs, and off we went downstairs to the operating room. 
I didn't really feel anything except for some tugging. I was pretty out of it, though, and even said to Dustin, I'm just going to close my eyes. And it happened a lot faster than I thought. And before Aww. I knew it, I heard a you cry. Heard and cry. <laughs> yep, and I immediately perked up, and I saw him over the sheet, and I said to Dustin, that's our baby. That's our baby. And he was born at 11.34 in the morning. So they took him over and checked him because of all the meconium. And my husband got a standby alarmer to meet him. Then they quickly brought him over and laid him on my chest. They didn't even put a diaper on him. And he pooped on me in the operating room. So we went to recovery. And my labor nurse, who's also an IBCLC, came in. And we tried to really use the golden hour to get him to latch and start breastfeeding. Then I went up to our room and it was fun because my parents were both already there waiting for us. A little bit later, we finally did his measurements and he was 8 pounds, 2 ounces, 21 inches long with a 13 and a half inch head. And they found him to be posterior, sunny side up when they opened me up, which explained all my back labor. Mm -hmm. Um, They also thought that maybe his cord had been getting squished in the birth canal, which was why I had to have oxygen and he started not to tolerate labor very well. He had a bruise on his head from the vacuum, and every time I accidentally bumped it, he would cry. It was, it was so sad. Afterwards, my doctor came in and said I was a great candidate for VBAC, but I couldn't do it there locally because of hospital insurance reasons, but she said we could do dual care with the doctor two hours away, but we could talk about that later if or when I was ever pregnant again. We never did discuss it anymore, and then we ended up moving before we were pregnant again. My recovery from the C-section was okay. I was pretty sore and had a hard time doing normal things, especially trying to pick up the baby in the middle of the night. But I also spent a lot of time sitting and laying around and knew I did not want to have another C-section for our next birth because there was no way I could take care of a toddler and a newborn and recover from all of it. I also didn't know how many kids we wanted to have, but through research found out that the more C-sections you have, the more complications there are. And overall, I was just disappointed with how everything had happened, but I did feel like I was in control and I was making decisions. My biggest regret was getting my water broken because I feel he could have used more time and space to move into a better spot, but I didn't find that out, learn that till after the fact. I also wish I had known about spinning babies and getting the baby into a good spot. And then also later found out about doulas and how useful they are. And I knew I wanted one for our next birth. So fast forward, almost two years later, we had just moved to central Utah. And three days later, found out I was pregnant. It was a... (laughs) It was a stressful first trimester with all the adjustments of moving And finally, at the end of my first trimester, I was able to get in to see a doctor. I knew the local hospital had a VBAC ban, and the plan was to do the first half of my prenatal visits locally, then switch somewhere up north closer to Salt Lake. I went with a doctor that other people seemed to really like. She seemed okay at first, but at our second appointment, things didn't go so well. She knew I wanted a VBAC, and she discussed all those risks, but would not discuss the risk of a repeat cesarean. I got pretty upset and asked her to give me those risks, and she kept talking about all these morbid things that could go wrong with an attempted VBAC, and that some women's pelvises are just too small to push a baby through, blah, blah, blah. And so at this point, I actually started to cry in the appointment because I was so frustrated And I pretty sternly told her to give me the risk of a repeat C-section, and she finally did. 
at the end of the appointment, I didn't even want her to touch me to find the baby's heartbeat, but mm-hmm. I let her because, I mean, what's the point of these appointments if we're not going to hear the baby? The only redeeming part of that appointment was when she offered to mail me my operative reports from my C-section that I had transferred over earlier. When she mailed them, she also included an up-to-date article and the recent ACOG bulletin about VBAC. I really hope she had read those and refreshed her memory a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So the next few appointments were kind of awkward, and it was basically a just, how are you feeling? And she checked the baby, and I'd leave. And I did the anatomy scan, and things went well, and we decided to leave the gender a surprise. A few weeks later, we did the glucose screening, and as soon as those results were in, I was going to transfer my records to a VBAC supportive provider. So in the meantime, I started to find a doula. It took a minute to convince my husband, but he knew I had my mind set on it, and he couldn't change it. I had posted in the VBAC link Facebook page and wrote about my C-section and where I was living and asked what options I had. Uh, Julie, do you remember that I, you had commented on there and said that you grew up in the area and if I wanted to I could message you (laughs) yeah so I did message you and later on I was looking at different doulas websites and kept coming back to yours and so I set up an interview and decided to hire you without talking to anybody else (laughs) yeah that's what I like I'm sitting in the same spot that I that I was when we did our interview over zoom or what was it facetime yeah (laughs) Actually, so we're full circle now because yep. if you can hear my screaming kids in the background, sorry about that. <laughs> no, I, I can't hear your kids. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so you had sent me a list of some VBAC friendly providers and we ended up making an appointment with Dr. Edmonds in South Salt Lake and that was two and a half hours one way from us. We knew it was going to be a commitment, but my husband and I decided it was worth it to drive that far to avoid unnecessary surgery, even though he was way nervous to have a baby in the car. So after I make... (laughs) I remember that. That was like, every time we talked about fears or concerns, he's like, I just just don't want to have a baby in the car. I just don't want to have a baby in the car. (laughs) Yep, that's what the doctor's appointments were like, too. (laughs) So we... I made an appointment with him for 28 weeks, and after I made their appointment, I saw on their office website that they offered a remote OB service, but I didn't know if Dr. Edmonds participated in it or not, or if I would have even meet the criteria to be considered low risk because I had a C-section, but I was going to ask and find out. So we went to that appointment, and it was great. We gave me risk and benefits of both a VBAC and a repeat C-section, went over my history, gave me a pretty high chance of a successful VBAC, but the only ding was that my first baby had basically gotten stuck. Then I asked about the telemed option. He thought I was a good candidate for it since I live so far away, and we went out to talk to the nurse to get things set up, and he asked her if a prior cesarean was on the list of high-risk things that would disqualify me, and she started to look through for a piece of paper, and he says, "Uh, never mind. We'll just pretend I didn't know." I then, yeah, yeah. I then talked to the nurse, and we get things all set up and scheduled our first telemed appointment. 
and we went over to the hospital pharmacy to pick up our kit, which had a scale, a blood pressure cuff, a fetal Doppler, and urine sticks. And then after that, we went and met you, Julie, in person at Olive Garden for lunch for our first doula prenatal appointment. That's right. Olive Garden's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, I think the waiter thought we were crazy because he kept walking by and looking at us funny. We were like, talking about birds and about? <laughs> vaginas and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That was pretty fun. So two weeks later, I had our first telemed visit. I clicked the link they had sent via text message and there were a bunch of people in the room. Apparently, I was the first person to use this service and they were pretty excited about it which means since I was the first person, I was the guinea pig. And so I had to help work out some of the glitches that come with using technology for the first time. The first visit, it was hard to hear anything because I didn't know that somebody needed to wear headphones. And so that ended up falling on me to have headphones. But before the appointments, I would weigh myself, take my blood pressure and use a Doppler and then I would pee in a cup and set that aside until the nurse came on. And I'd tell her the numbers of my weight and, the, of my, and my blood pressure. And then I would dip the stick into the pee so she could read the colors because I could never figure out how to do that very well. Um, <laughs> and I found out that if I dipped it and tried to tell her, it didn't really work that well because the, after like a minute, it would all change all kinds of funny colors and then it look really bad <laughs> and it wouldn't be accurate so I also figured out that it was a lot easier to use the Doppler on myself if I stood up instead of laying down so most of my appointments were online except for the 36 week GBS test that we went up north for I found out I was GBS positive and I was a little upset about it because it messed up my plan to not go to the hospital until later in labor I called Julie, and we worked through some scenarios, and I read an evidence-based birth article, talked to my doctor and my husband, and I decided to get the antibiotics mostly so I would not be pressured into staying longer at the hospital after the baby was born. So my next few appointments were online until 39 weeks when I was seen in person from then on. That was a Monday. I decided to get checked since we lived so far away and had a few contractions a week before that I thought might have been labor. So I was three, almost three centimeters dilated and 60% effaced. So things were happening. I declined a membrane sweep. And since I wasn't having contractions and wasn't super dilated, we decided it was probably safe to go home. Halloween was that Thursday and we took our son trick-or-treating. I had some contractions that night, but figured I just wore myself out and didn't drink enough water. I used my big yoga ball to do some hip circles and then laid over it with my knees on the ground. I was hoping I wasn't in labor because I was so tired, but the bounce ball, as my husband always called it, helped them fizzle out. Then Friday, I woke up and nothing was going on, so I decided it was best to just rest that day. And then Saturday morning, one day before my due date, at 5.15 in the morning, I, had, I woke up to go pee, and I felt what I thought was Braxton Hicks. Then two minutes later, I felt another one. I got some water to drink and started timing them and they were every two minutes apart, and that got me a little nervous. I got on my knees and kneeled over my recliner, hoping they'd stop or slow down, and I quickly realized these were real, but was in a little bit of denial that labor would start so suddenly. I went back to bed and laid down for a few more minutes. We had a two and a half hour drive, so timing them was important. 
I didn't want to leave too soon for false alarm or have them slow down, but of course we didn't want to leave too late that I'm having intense contractions in the car or going through transition or have a roadside baby, which was my husband's worst fear. My husband woke, had started to wake up and he knew something was going on. Contractions had slowed down to three minutes apart and they were getting pretty hard to ignore. At 5.45, we decided to leave. I had my husband give me a blessing, and he started to get things ready to go. I had a list taped on the wall of all the last-minute things to grab, and he started putting them in the car, but most of our stuff was already there. Our bags were in the trunk, and I had a towel laid down in the back seat just in case my water broke. Our two-year-old had woken up because he heard us up and going, so we got him dressed and ready for the day. I got myself dressed in clothes I had set aside to wear on the drive up. I even wore the pens because if my water broke, I wanted it somewhat contained. By 6.15, we had left town and told some family members what was going on. I then called Julie to tell you what was happening. And I had a contraction on the phone and you asked if I was okay. And I said, yeah, it's just hard to talk through these. We stopped at a gas station about an hour from our house to go to the bathroom and get Dustin some caffeine. And a little while later, we dropped off our oldest. Labor in the car was hard, but not totally impossible. I was in the back seat leaning forward or else turned around on my knees to the back of the car. And then once we dropped my son off, we took his car seat out and I was able to get on my hands and knees, which was the most comfortable for me. Thankfully, it was a beautiful morning, so I got to watch the sun come up over the mountains. We stopped for food at McDonald's before going into the hospital. I took one bite and threw the rest away, but it was okay because I had been eating snacks in the car. Around 9 a.m., we arrived, and I was at 6 centimeters, 80% effaced, and baby at negative one station. Nice. So it was pretty exciting. (laughs) I was excited that it was real. Yeah. Um, Our nurse was okay, and she told us she had been a labor and delivery nurse longer than I'd been alive. (laughs) And then when we told her we were going for a VBAC, she lectured me that it was, that I wasn't a VBAC, only a TOLAC. Her name wasn't Gaylene, was it? No. Oh, I was just saying Gaylene. Megan, we don't call people out on the podcast. (laughs) No, I love her. No, I'm sorry, but I love her. But she, she said that to my client, like, oh, honey, I've been a, I've been a labor and delivery nurse before you were even born. Like, so I was just wondering if that's, if that was her. No, it was somebody else. (laughs) I won't say, I'm not saying her name. Only until. Wait, was there a bad thing? No, well, she just not well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she said she, she said you were a tolac. Is that what you were saying yeah. when I interrupted yeah, she you? Said, <laughs> yeah, she said I was a VBAC, only tolac because a VBAC is after the baby was born. Oh, oh. Um, so she was just then, a matter of fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then she asked me if Doctor Edmonds was okay with his VBAC, and I said yes. Uh, yeah. But in my head, I'm like, why would we drive so far if he wasn't? Yeah. <laughs> Julie, then you got there about a half hour later, and the first thing we said to you were was that we weren't sure about this nurse, and you told us to just wait and give her a chance. So she came back in and was able to hook me up to the wireless monitors that the other nurses had a hard time with, so she kind of redeemed herself there. We started the first round of the IV antibiotics for my GBS, and I labored standing up and on the birth ball and a little bit on the toilet because I kept having to pee. But every contraction, I had counter pressure from either you, Julie, or my husband. So then around noon, our nurse came back and started asking about cervical checks, but I kept trying to stall and put them off. 
I ate some Jello for lunch, and our nurse gave us leftover Halloween candy to eat. And then I got another round of antibiotics at 1 o'clock. But before our nurse went on her lunch break, she introduced us to a different nurse that would take over for the hour she was gone. And this new nurse had the same name as my grandma that had passed away. And we had names for both genders picked out. And the girl's middle name was going to be the same as my grandma's middle name. So when she came in, I was so sure it was a sign that we were having a girl. And at the same time, felt like my grandma was in the room with us. So that was kind of cool, part of labor. Yeah, I remember that. So around 2 p.m., I finally consented to another cervical check, and I was at a 7, 100% face, and a negative 1 station with a bulging water bag. And I said out loud, I've been here for five hours, and I've only dilated one centimeter. I was so devastated. Mm -hmm. And that's when Julie saved the day. You suggested we try something different, but it would be really intense, and you didn't like to use it, but... It should be really effective. And so I agreed. It was Walter's. called yep, Walter's <laughs> Technique, spinning babies thing. I laid down on my back at the foot of the bed. My butt was hanging off the end, and you raised the bed up as high as it would go, so my feet were dangling. You put an arm under the small of my back, and I stayed like that for three contractions. It hurt so bad. I hated you. It was the worst part of labor. I'm sorry. <laughs> but then contractions really ramped up in intensity. I was so worn out, though, so I laid on my side with a peanut ball for a couple minutes to try to catch my breath. And then you suggested I get out of bed and try squatting, so I did that for a couple more contractions. But then for the millionth time during labor, I had to pee. So I went to use the bathroom and started to have contraction. My husband was kneeling in front of me doing counter pressure on my knees. All of a sudden, my water broke like a bucket into the toilet, and my husband yelled a profanity. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that moment so good. I was like, I'm not going to say what so you don't have to mark this explicit, but <laughs> it starts with a shh and rhymes with hit. <laughs> Um, yeah, so if my hospital gown, I'm like, water broke, I was outside the bathroom. <laughs> yep, if my hospital gown hadn't been down near my shins, he would have been soaked with amniotic fluid and toilet water, and yeah, you were standing outside the door because you thought I sounded a little pushy, and you heard all of this happen, and so you fling open the door and asked if my water had broken, and then <laughs> I said yes, and then you opened the door to the hallway and yelled at the nurse that my water had in fact broken. So she comes running in and asks what color it was, and so I turn around and check, and it was clear. And then you both calmly but very urgently were like, okay, Shiloh, let's get out of the bathroom. And you helped me both quickly. <laughs> yeah, you don't want the bathroom, a toilet baby. <laughs> So you got me out of the bathroom and helped me change into another gown because it was wet and I hated feeling the wet gown on me. And I was so worn out and just wanted to lay down. So I got back into bed with a peanut ball and then I really started to feel pushy. Um, the nurse put a heating pad on my back and I just tried to rest and I was so done. And that was about 3.45. So the nurse told me, to blow out with contractions to try to keep me from pushing. She checks and I'm at a 10 and I was ready to go. And she called the doctor and he was about 10 minutes out. And that was a really, really long 10 minutes. Everyone was starting to get a little antsy slash excited. And then finally, Dr. Edmonds gets there and I could feel the energy in the room just calm down. 
so he had me sit up sort of reclined with the bed raised up instead of laying on my side which was totally fine by me because there was no way I was getting up or out of that bed at that point to push in any other position besides <laughs> laying down. So he checked me and said I was at a plus two station and that the baby was positioned good. He said I would not be having a C-section, but I was so into my little labor land head and did not even respond when he said that. I had another contraction and pushed a little bit. And then Julie, you said a very doula thing. Shiloh, did you hear Dr. Edmonds? You aren't going to have a C-section. And so I just kind of had nodded, said okay. Mm -hmm. um, between con pushing contractions, we, he told us that the hair was light and talked about who was going to announce the gender. And that was my husband's job. I even got to touch the baby's head before crowning. I felt like a ridge and was very soft, not at all what I was expecting. Finally, I had one big push to get the head out and then a small break and two more small pushes for each of the shoulders. The baby came out and my husband was totally ready and called out, it's a boy. And I'm like, a boy. I was so convinced that we were having a girl because of the nurse's name from earlier, but was still so happy. He was put straight on my chest for skin to skin. My husband started bawling his eyes out mm -hmm. and I was just relieved that I really did push the baby out. After a few minutes, I cut the cord because my husband didn't want to. And our baby was eight pounds, five ounces, 20 and a half inches long with a 13.4 inch head. He arrived at 4.54 p.m. after almost 12 hours of labor and 30 minutes of actively pushing, almost two and a half years after my C-section. I had a first degree tear that needed a few stitches, but recovery was nothing like a C-section. I was pretty much up and moving like normal the next day. So was his baby, this baby's head bigger than the other one? Because I remember it was like, what, what did it you was, say it, it was? was? It was slightly smaller, like barely smaller. Slightly smaller, pretty, okay. But pretty much the same size. Yeah, and almost the same pound, pound yeah, right? Yeah, like just three ounces more. Just goes to show like what position can truly do during labor. You well, know, yes. like an LP, <laughs> an LP baby and... And I don't mean this like rude, but like a lack of knowledge of like what to do to get a baby in a better position or like a provider with the lack of skill to check a position. You know what I mean? Like right. you just had like a perfect team lined up. It was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to change it up. We're going to try this. And then like, it just was amazing how you watched it kind of pan out like that. And sometimes, you know, despite everything, all the efforts, it still doesn't happen. We can't get these babies to move, but I'm so happy that yours did. Yes, I am too. <laughs> I did not yes. want another C-section. but. So here's the ultimate question. Do you still hate me now? No, I don't hate you. <laughs> I only hated you when you made me lay on my back during contractions. Yeah, but that worked. Your water <laughs> broke work. like soon after that, and baby was born like not long after that either. A couple, like two hours later, three hours later. Yeah. Two hours so later. Yeah, Walters is no joke. Like it is it's no joke. It's hard. That's why I always tell my clients, I'm like, because she was at, she was at a seven, or she only dilated one centimeter in like, I don't remember how long, like six or seven five hours. hours. Oh, five hours. Yeah. And then, so you can kind of sense, Megan, you know what I'm talking about. You can kind of sense like the, the mood of like mm -hmm. the hot, the staff changes and they're like, oh, she's not progressing. 
Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so that's why I always tell my clients every Switch single time. I'm like, I told him, like, it sucks. It's going to hurt. But I know you can do it. It's only three contractions long, and it's incredibly effective. And I don't, I don't think I ever explain it in a way that's good enough to really prepare these parents about <laughs> how uncomfortable it really is. Yeah. And I don't do it very often. It's kind of like a, I wouldn't even call it a last resort, but like I rely a lot on my intuition when I use it and suggest it because I don't know, you just, some, just like we tell these parents to do, you know, trust your intuition. So that just came to my mind and it felt like a good thing to suggest. So I suggested it and then she was so strong through it and she made it through all the contractions and then it was just so fun like to see her husband (laughs) he's just I just really love her husband he's so fun and he's super supportive and he was just so nervous about having a car baby and it was like probably one of the best dad ugly cries I've ever after (laughs) like it was pretty incredible i took like 500 pictures of it I think. yeah it you, like, you got a good you got some good video yeah. of him bawling yeah it's it good cool. <laughs> i didn't cry when he was born but my husband did so <laughs> it was it was fun it was really good well gosh Thank we're going to talk a little bit for just a couple minutes about telemedicine and digital yes. support and virtual support and this episode comes I'm at the beginning of June, and hopefully we're in a spot where doulas are allowed back in the birth space again in person. But right now, it's really hit and miss, and sometimes doulas are having to even support parents virtually while they're in labor. And so, Megan, do you want to talk a little bit about what that looks like and kind of what we're seeing? And also, like, do you think it might be like kind of a trend? I think I know. more and more doulas will be going digital because... I think so too. I mean, I think obviously like there's very, there's a lot to say with like a doula in person. Like that's why a lot of people want doulas. They want that in personal or that in person, like touch and love and support. But right now with COVID-19, like we are being forced in a way to do online support and um, it actually is working out in a lot of ways all over the world. So a lot of times doulas are able to labor with couples at home as long as possible to support them there. But then when it's time to go to the birthing place, like they're unable to go. And so that goes to online, which is kind of something like Shiloh did with her provider, right? They provided her with all the tools at home so she could go through that visit with her, with her provider and like do those things. And, and with the doula being online um, or virtual support, they're able to see, be a part of the room, understand what's going on, see the pattern or the tracing on the monitor and kind of get an idea of what some things that they could do. And like Shiloh mentioned about Julie, like Julie kind of noticed, okay, this is the, this is what's going on in the room. Let's switch it up. Let's do this. Like, even though, Julie like wouldn't be there. She'd be online. She could still suggest that. She could still help her husband, um, Shiloh's husband, like do all the things that they did. And you know, if a doula wasn't there, then they wouldn't have that support and they wouldn't have that knowledge. So a lot of the times, people say like, "Well, I don't really know the benefit of a 
an online doula? Like, what is the benefit? Well, the benefit is though, even though we're not there in person, we're still able to offer our training and our skill online and still offer suggestions. And there's a lot that a doula's voice can do. Having like there's something about a voice. Like I remember when my doula came in, like just hearing her voice, like I literally felt like my shoulders and everything just like, oh, drop, like, oh, she's here. Like, mm-hmm. yay. You know, and you know, not not that anything against like my husband, like he was amazing, but like just that comfort of hearing her voice and online, you can still do that. You can still Absolutely. have that voice presence and you can still talk them through things and help their partners still feel included and a part of this birth and in charge because a lot of the times people feel like they don't know what's going on and so they just kind of go along with the flow and that's you know a lot of the time why interventions come into play because they don't they don't know what they don't know and so having a doula still be there online or virtually or even available via text like 24 seven or whatever, however long that labor is, like it's still very, very beneficial to have that support um, and those troubleshoots. So yeah, I mean, I've seen it be effective. I've been forced into it as well. And, and I say forced because, I mean, that's the only option we had, right? Given the situation that we're in, but it's worked out. It's worked out. It's definitely been different. And the couple will say that like, well, you know, it's definitely not what we planned on, but it worked and they're like, they're still happy with it. I was still very pleased with it, even though I missed being able to be there with them in person. Yeah. And you know, um, I think something important to point out, I was on a webinar a couple weeks ago with a doula that always does digital support. Like she's been doing digital support for years with parents. And one of the things that she brought up is there was a survey that somebody published sometime. I honestly don't even remember. I'll have to go back through my notes. But um, there was a survey of parents about why they wanted a doula. And the parent answers were all mostly pretty similar. And that that was that they wanted somebody that had experience to help them know what options they had. They wanted somebody with knowledge of like the normal birth process. And they wanted somebody to emotionally support them and help their partner be more involved with the birth. And the partners, the birth partners said the same thing. They wanted somebody to help them be, feel in control and feel like they're helpful, helping and useful. And guess what? Doulas, when they're digital and they're, they're doing that for you, all those things they're doing for you. It's just on the other side of the phone, whether it's on video chat, phone call, or through text messages, they can still be all of that for you. I'm hearing really good stories about people's nurses, like asking the parents if they want to talk to their doula first or call their doula or, or before a conversation, Hey, do you want to video chat your doula really fast so we can all talk about this together? And, and people are nurses and hospital staff. And I'm, I'm sure that everybody's different, right? But I'm just hearing great things about people being willing to help parents through these like complicated times and give them the best experience they can, even though they're incredibly limited on what they can do. And so, I mean, like a doula can read the room or like if you're on video, like you just look at a person and then you can see like their facial expressions and their attitude. And I know that when we're virtually supporting parents, it's not like we're like homeschooling our kids and cooking dinner and cleaning the house and then like shouldering the phone, you know, between our ear and our shoulder and like talking to you. Like 
we're locked in our rooms and available and there like as if we were at your birth we are we are separating ourselves from everything in our life and being dedicated 100 percent to to you and i know that a lot of jewels the same thing right now so it can be a very beneficial thing and just to kind of use it as an example if i were digital doulaing shiloh and at her birth and her husband it would have been really easy for me to say okay well let's try walters it really sucks you're probably going to hate me while you're doing it but it's really effective and here is a video to show you exactly how to do it and then send them yeah. a youtube video or an article or a picture or something and and be with them on video walking them through it so and that i'm still there yeah and and helping them and say you are doing such a good job just one more contraction like all of those things just from the other side of the phone and so i think i'm really proud of our birth community right now and birth birthing people all over the country and even the world about getting innovative and creative in the ways that they're still bringing the support that these birthing parents need and i just it's been really fun to see all of the really cool things coming out of this situation and yeah all the cool things coming out of a crappy situation <laughs> yeah a crappy situation yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah oh well awesome thank you shiloh for sharing so much and also for being a test factor <laughs> for all the people who want to come here to Utah that might be further away um, to allow it so these providers can, can do these virtual visits. When I think your test subject thing was like the perfect time for them to like perfect it out. And get ready yeah. for this, you know, like not, mm -hmm. not that anybody like could foreshadow this, but like what a perfect preparation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard of anybody else that had a system set up before this all happened and yeah they already had their system and knew how to use it they just yeah. i just got to be the test yeah. subject <laughs> yeah months in advance oh before anyone knew what was gonna happen so we are going to read your two questions what is a secret lesson or something no one really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for birth do you want to answer that or do you want me to just read your answer um, you can just read it. I don't know what I wrote. Okay, totally <laughs> fine. You said, how much of labor is mental, but physical preparation goes a long way in regards to baby positioning. Also, sometimes you have to go out of your way and think outside the box and be flexible and the importance of doulas. And then your next question is, what is your best tip for someone preparing to be back? And you said, get a doula, do your research, and get that baby in a good position. I think those are all great answers. Great answers and good advice. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.